Okay. All right, everyone, why don't we go ahead and get back to our seats? All right, well, good morning, everyone. Why don't we, uh, sorry to make you sit and stand again, but why don't we stand? Am I uh, echoey? No, it's just I'm hearing myself. Okay, all right, we're good. Um, why don't we stand? We're going to read Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. It should be up on the uh, slides as well. And we're in the NLT version this morning. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He's identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Let's pray. You guys can take a seat. Lord, we, uh, as always, we come before you as your people throughout the Old Covenant and New Covenant have always been called to come together. Uh, you've always had in mind a people, a community. Um, Lord, and the reason, one of the reasons for that is we need this time. Uh, this time is essential to our weeks and to our months and to our years. This, this time is absolutely the most important time of the week, without exception. Nothing compares to this time where your people gather together to be reminded of what's true, to celebrate, to take communion, to worship you, and to live under the authority of you, Father, and your word. So God, as we come to the teaching of your word, as always, we come underneath it. So often in our culture, we're told to be above your word and interpret it as we want and think of it as we want and to be the ultimate authority. But that is not the way you call your people to live. And it's not a harsh command, it's a loving command because your word is the only thing in this world that's true. Nothing else is true. People's opinion, cultural movements, they're not truth. The ultimate truth is your word. God, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for its authority in our lives. We thank you that it's a gift. It's something you gave us out of your love for us, not to destroy us, but to build us up and to care for us. So Lord, this morning, no matter what our opinions are of the Bible, we pray that each of us would grow in our reverence for it and our submission to it. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you have called us into this critical time together where we can learn from your word and be sent out 
as people of hope in a hopeless world. And so, God, I pray your Holy Spirit would speak through this time into the hearts of your people. In your name, amen. Um, so, I want to start with a question for us, and I, I'm assuming a, a lot of us can relate to this, if not all. Have you, ever, have you ever jumped in to the middle of a story? Uh, maybe your family's watching a movie and you come in halfway through because you've been doing the dishes or cleaning up. Um, or maybe there's a book and you happen to jump into the middle of it, or there's a show and, uh, and you, you're kind of late to the party, and so you, you're, you're, you're kind of catching it midstream, and uh, you, you find yourself uh, a little bit lost as to what's going on. What's the, first, what's the first question people who do this ask? And we know all of it, for all of us, it annoys us. But what do they ask? Yeah, <laughs> what'd I miss? Catch me up to speed, right? Fill me in on, on everything that, that has occurred. And why, why is that the natural response with any story? that we know we're catching the middle of and we hope to watch to the end, but why is it that we ask what, what came before? Um, and, and I think that for all of us, there's a sense of, unless I know what's happened before, I'm probably going to misinterpret what's going on now, and I'm going to probably not catch the full meaning of the ending. <laughs> This is so true whenever we're reading the Bible, the same exact principle. Um, in fact, if you ever go to seminary, the first thing you learn in class is context. Everything's context. Don't pull a scripture out of the Bible without its context, without the larger story, just like a show or movie you show up to halfway through. If you do that, the chances are you're going to misinterpret what's, what's being written about and how you're supposed to apply it to your life. And honestly, if I read this text this morning, just coming into it without any preceding understanding of what's going on in the book of Ephesians or hadn't listened to any of Sam's sermons the last few weeks or the last couple months that we've been in Ephesians, I would read what we just read as this. Okay, all right, so I have to stop lying. Uh, I can't be angry anymore. I need to stop stealing from my neighbors or Rite Aid. Um, and unfortunately, you know, okay, I need to watch my tongue and everything I say. And I would leave this service and think, all right, I gotta, okay, I have to do this. I've got to figure this out to be a Christian so that I can uh, live a good life and pleasing, pleasing to God. Now, part of that is true. Living like this is pleasing to God. Um, but that's not the right way to interpret our text this morning. In fact, if that's how we leave, I feel like I've done a disservice to, to this text this morning. Um, because as you've been tracking with Sam and the other sermons we've had, and if you've been into Ephesians 4, um, what you realize is, is, is the writer is actually, uh, it's not a, necessarily just about an individual to say, okay, Brendan, or okay, Dan, or okay, Nick, just go live this way on your own strength. And that's how you're a Christian. And if you don't measure up, you're not a good Christian. If you measure up, good job. 
Um, this instruction is to the, it's, it's not the lowercase us, it's actually the uppercase us. It's to all of us. Uh, Ephesians 4 is written to us as a community, as a local church. So when you're hearing, and again, for Americans, that's hard because we don't tend to view life that way. But in other cultures, they still view it very much communally. Um, and in the first century, certainly they did. And so this, this letter is written to all of us. In addition, this isn't about living this on our own strength um, or trying our best to stop these behaviors. Um, no, th- this is about allowing the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, to empower us and to, in- to change us. In fact, verse 23-24 is all of the verse that precedes our, our text this morning, is all about allowing the Holy Spirit who lives inside of believers, to renew our thoughts, to renew us as people, that He would put on the new self that we have in Christ, that the old self, the old Adam, and even all of us would be put off, and that the new self that Holy Spirit is creating in us would come to fruition, would come to life. And so, in other words, this is a Paul's call to the entire church to say, live this way together, live this way together, and let the Holy Spirit empower this kind of life. We're going to get into what that looks like in this sermon and how to do that, but I want to start there because unless we see it that way, I think this sermon's pretty discouraging because you're going to leave thinking, okay, I got to stop doing all these behaviors, it's really hard to do it. Rather, we're doing this together as a church, and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to actually be the hero of this story, to be actually the one who changes us over time. So really, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at what our life together is supposed to look like as Christians. Remember, the first three chapters in Ephesians is about the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done. Verses 4 through 6 is really looking at what does that mean, okay? The gospel has come, Jesus has come, the church has been birthed, Um, so what? Now what? Uh, How are we supposed to be different? How are we supposed to live as his people in the world? So we're going to look at some key areas of what our life is supposed to look like together, why we're supposed to live this way. So what, why, and then how? How can we live this way? What, why, how? So the what comes from Ephesians, the first part, 25 through 29. If you're in your Bibles, you can just keep it open to Ephesians 4, 25. I'll just, we'll just keep coming back to it. Again, Paul writes, so stop telling lies. Tell us, again, us, let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin, be free church, by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands, be free Dover, for good work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Uh, Ephesians is a letter written to a network of churches. Uh, 
around Ephesus in the general area. And so the idea was Paul would write a letter um, and he would text it. No, he would write a letter, it would be hand-delivered, and then it would circulate amongst, they estimate, seven to ten churches in the region in seven to ten cities would receive this letter and they would read it publicly uh, because, again, most people in that time couldn't read and write, so they would deliver it orally. And each church is then called to apply this to their particular setting. So what does that mean? Well, it means that unlike, say, the book of Corinthians where Paul is writing to one church in one city and saying, these issues relate specifically to your church, and here's how you're supposed to deal with them. So in the case of Corinthians, they had a lot of issues with sexual immorality. And so Paul says, okay, you guys are immoral sexually. Here's how you deal with that in Corinth, in your situation. With Ephesians, it's different. It's saying, Paul's saying, there's no, necessarily no specific thing in mind that Paul has that's necessarily that one church is doing something per se, although all of them, we all struggle with these things. But he's writing it to a network of churches as general principles for them to follow. Uh, so they're general truths that these churches, all of them, are supposed to live out. Um, but of course, each church is going to apply them or deal with them in, in different ways. Um, so, as you think about today, for Dover Be Free, I think it's interesting that the same thing applies. Just like this letter was written and, and read by these 10 churches, um, now we get to read it. And we get to say, okay, Paul, you're talking about these different things. Well, how does it relate to Dover Be Free? Um, how, how can we learn from what the Holy Spirit's telling us and apply it into our particular church? Where are we struggling with these issues. I think Paul is assuming that every church is going to struggle in different ways with these, these, these four things that we'll walk through. So the first one <clears throat> stop telling lies. Tell, let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And so we ask ourselves as a church, and again, I don't have answers this morning to these things. I think these are just more helpful questions for us as a church to wrestle with and talk about um, and continue to look to the Holy Spirit to help us grow. We never arrive at perfection in these areas, but the goal is growth. The goal is repentance, as we'll see. So how are we doing as an honest and transparent church? I think for us, I've been a part of Dover Be Free for over a decade, and I don't necessarily think our issues are related to like blatantly lying to one another. Like, uh, you know, did you, uh, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I went on a cruise somewhere. Did you really? No, I'm just lying to you. I don't, I don't feel like that's, that's not our story as a church. We're not a bunch of liars from my experience with you guys. <laughs> and I hope I've not been that way. Or you tell a, a grandiose story. Did that really happen? No, it didn't actually happen. Why'd you tell it? I was just lying. Okay. However, related to that, are we transparent and honest with each other? 
How are we doing in that area? Paul says to tell the truth with each other. So when someone asks us, which we do every Sunday or in our community groups, how are you doing? Do you guys ever get that question? Do we, as Americans, ask that question of each other? How you doing? How was your weekend? Raise your hand if you've ever been asked that question. Now, how many of you answer that question honestly? Some of us do. Maybe things are going well. Isn't it great when someone asks you that question and actually things are going well? And so you can say, I'll tell you the truth, things are going well. And then you move on to the next conversation. But what if things are not going well? Um, what if there's issues with your mental health, with depression, with anxiety? What if you're in a season of struggling with that? Um, what if you're in a season where your marriage has a lot of tension and it's really hard to communicate? Um, what if parenting is hard? Is parenting hard for anybody? Um, So, are we a church that answers that question, how are you doing, with truthfulness, as Paul is getting at in this verse? Again, I don't have the answer to that question for each of you. I just know for myself. And as I was preparing this sermon, I thought, wow, the next time someone asks me how I'm doing, my goal is to actually tell them how I'm doing because they asked me the question. And I want to answer it in a truthful way. How about verse 26? Anger must not endure. And Paul says, and don't let sin, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, I think in this, sometimes we think, okay, what that verse means is, if I'm upset about something, before six o'clock, I have to, like, deal with it so that the sun doesn't go down. Have anyone ever thought that way about that verse? I don't know. It's just, maybe it's just me. But if the sun goes down, I'm angry. I'm in trouble. But what if it's a big issue that you can't just get over by the time the sun goes down? Um, really, what this is getting at what, what, what it really means in terms of this concept of the sun going down. Paul's saying, don't let anger endure, is what this means. Don't, don't let anger be the theme of your life. Why? Because when anger takes over our life, two things happen. One is it says a foothold for the devil. That, that could also mean a place, uh, a, 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 an area. So, in other words, uh, you're, you're in your life, you're giving a place in your life where bad things can happen in your life, where the evil one can take advantage of that place and tempt you and accuse you, and, and which leads to the second problem with anger, is anger tends to lead to other sins. Um, so, a couple examples of that. Again, us as Dover be free. How we do in this area? Are there times in the past or in the present when, when we've been angry with someone in the church? Um, and, and, and 
Maybe it started as a personality difference or something they said or feeling rejected. Um, and it started as anger, but it, it just kind of festered. It kind of stayed there. Whenever you saw that person, you're like, uh, you just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And uh, I don't know what to do with it, but I don't, I'm just going to sit with it. And so it, it grows and it develops. And then all of a sudden you find yourself slandering that person at home with your husband or with a friend at lunch. You're talking about them in such a way that's degrading who they are, degrading their character. Um, or another example for us with kids or, or grandkids, um, do you ever get angry that you can't control the way your kids act or control all the choices they make or control these different areas of their life? And at first, it just starts as you're frustrated and angry that you have such little control over what's going on in their lives. But then all of a sudden, you start saying things to them that aren't super nice. Uh, you start being sarcastic or saying an off comment that they might not understand because the age difference, but you know full well what you're doing. Um, our kids are just as much a part of our church and part of what Paul's getting at here as the adults. So when we are treating our kids that way, we're treating the church that way. It's the same thing. Um, and so I think that's an area for a lot of us that maybe uh, this strikes at. This idea of anger and how it leads to other, other sins. Um, verse 28, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Uh, again, in my experience with this church, uh, I don't remember anyone taking the black box and running out of here. Michaela, has that ever happened? Michaela oversees the money. No, no one, I don't think of our church as a stealing church. Like, we're going to take the computers, because they're each probably $2,000, and sell them at the pawn shop across the street over here in Dover. I don't, and so some of us could look at this verse and say, eh, this doesn't really apply to Dover be free, because none of us are really uh, the stealing type. All of us have jobs and try to make our own way in life, and none of us are trying to rob the system or steal from the church uh, to, to make ends meet or to uh, get ahead in life. But I think that'd be a mistake, because again, each church is called to interpret this in their own setting. And when I would look at this for, for our church, I would say, okay, what is Paul's point here? He's talking about living generously, isn't he? Look what he says. Use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. So be generous to the church. Be generous to one another. How are we doing in generosity as a church? And, and is generosity just in a church, as we look at all of Scripture, is generosity just about money? Because I don't think it is. The best description of generosity is Acts 2, 42 through 47. In the early church, when the Holy Spirit is empowering the early church, 
in Jerusalem to be generous, what's going on in that early community? Well, they are giving money to each other. You clearly see that. Um, And so, in my mind, having our budget be in the black is a super healthy sign as a church. And if our budget gets into the red, that's an issue. Um, That's an issue in terms of generosity, in terms of how we're living out these commands in Ephesians 4. So we have to take a hard look at that as a community and say, what's going on? How can we change this? Um, Now, our church financially is is generous, and that's something uh, to be praised. Uh, Historically, we've been in the black, and we are now, and I think that's a wonderful thing. But in Acts 2, it's not just about money. It's also about relationships. It's about how they treat the the elderly, how they treat the poor, how they treat those in their midst. So generosity is also relational. And so for us, I think we ask the question, how are we doing in generosity with each other as a church? Uh, Not that money is, we got it all set and so we don't have to worry about it. We always have to ask that question because I think money, as Jesus teaches, always reveals our heart. And so we have to be generous financially. Um, but in our setting this morning, how are we doing being generous with each other? Um, and I have to ask myself that question. Uh, do I, am I generous with, with everyone in the church, or am I just generous with, with people who I naturally connect with? Um, am I just relationally generous with my time, my questions, my investment, my presence, Am I only generous with people who I'm drawn to naturally? And all of us have people like that, who we look at them and think there's something intuitively, psychologically that goes on where you say, I kind of, I feel good around them. I feel, you guys relate to that? Like, I, I'm kind of drawn to them. I, but there's other people, I think if we're honest, again, verse 25, if we're truthful, are there people that just based on our story and our history and our personality that maybe we interact with this a little bit, it's harder. Um, it's not as natural. It's not as easy. Maybe there's personality. Um, maybe there's age difference. Uh, maybe there's some political worldview uh, differences going on. You know, our, how, how do we feel about that? And so are we uh, increasingly growing in stepping outside of our comfortable relational networks and stepping into networks of relationship that are harder, that are, and not to say they're bad, but they're just, they stretch us more. Uh, We don't know what to say. We don't know what questions to ask. It's, It's not as natural. But when Paul talks about living generously with each other, as you see in Acts 2, and as you see in this command here this morning, what you see is a community that's, that's not just staying in their network. It's, it's a community that's stepping outside of that. They're not leaving the people they're most comfortable with. The 12 disciples who were pretty comfortable with each other, they had their fighting, of course, but they still spent a lot of time together throughout the New Testament. They would come back together and fellowship, but you see them breaking into other networks as well, so the church would grow. Um, so how are we doing in this area? When we come to church, um, 
are we, are we stepping across the aisle into some uncomfortable situations for us? I think the more we do that, the more healthy we become as a church. People don't feel that separation. Um, and I'll be honest, and this was something challenging for me as I prepared this sermon, is this has been a critique of our church in the past. Um, I know people personally who have said things like, it feels like high school. When I come in, there's the popular group, and then this group, and then this group, and, and it's really hard to know how I can fit in to those different settings. And to be honest, we've lost people I know personally from this church for that reason. And so I, and I'm not saying we're doing that now as a church, but I think we have to know our story. We have to know our history. Um, and so my encouragement this morning is to continue to, to live generously with each other so that people don't feel that sense of different cliques within our church. The last one is unwholesome talk and content. Uh, so again, we've seen honest, transparent church. How are we doing with that? Anger, how are we doing with that? Generosity, especially relationally. And then this last thing is, is, is um, the idea of uh, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Um, again, I don't, I don't see our church, uh, you know, living, living this way in such that um, we're saying mean things to each other or using harsh words with one another. Um, but rather, I think in our day, uh, we really, all of us need to ask the question, and I ask this of myself a lot, the unwholesome talk and content, um, again, it's not something I think I've experienced or in this church, but what is our intake of entertainment? Um, what is our intake of content throughout the week? And the litmus test I like to use is, would I want to show whatever I'm watching on Netflix or Disney Plus or Hulu, would I want to show it uh, during my community group meeting? Um, or would there be part of the content or the talk that, that really is unwholesome and a little, bit, a little bit embarrassing? And so the idea of showing it in front of your community group would be really awkward. Um, in my mind, that's a great litmus test, especially with how much, how much streaming entertainment we have that was not the case back here when Paul wrote this. But I always think, if you wouldn't show it, in front of your community group, I just, I wouldn't watch it. Um, again, it's that concept, not to be legalistic, but these instructions from Paul are to all of us, not just to you individually. So if we would not want to show our Netflix show to our community group, we really have to ask ourselves the question, is this helpful uh, to my life in the body? And so I don't know how to answer that for you, um, but that's something that may... Uh, apply. Um, 
So again, we're going to move on quick to why and then how and then and close. But um, I'm hoping one area in, in these four crucial areas maybe rose to surface for you that the Holy Spirit's maybe nudging you a little bit, saying like, and again, the Holy Spirit doesn't nudge us with, with uh, harshness. He's gentle. So the conviction is going to probably feel like a little nudge of, hey, uh, what do you think about this area of your life, Brendan? Uh, how are you doing in that as it relates to the church and what it means for the church? So hopefully for one of you, there's one of those areas that maybe has risen to the surface. Why do we live this way? And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he's identified you as his own, guaranteeing you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And so here's the simple answer as to why we live this way, why we focus on, in this case, those four areas and really try to grow in them together. Uh, we live this way because all of us have the privilege as a whole of reflecting the character of God to the world around us. I'll say it again. We as a church live this way because we have the privilege of reflecting the character of God to the world around us. And specifically, it's the Holy Spirit in this context. And so what do I mean by that? Well, this idea of being truthful, we know that the Holy Spirit himself is truthful. We remember from the book of John where Jesus says that the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. So it's his very character, the Holy Spirit, to get rid of what's false and reveal what's true. So as we are doing that as a community, we're revealing to the world not how great we are or how great our church is, but how great he is. Who's the truthful one in our midst? It's the Holy Spirit. How about anger? Well, what's one of the fruits, primary fruits of the Holy Spirit that we see in Ephesians later on? Uh, I'm sorry, in Galatians. What, what is one of the fruits of the Spirit, of His Spirit? It's patience. So this idea that where does, where does this whole concept of patience, long-suffering come from? It comes from the character of God, not from ourselves. How about generosity? We've already talked about the Acts 2 community and how incredibly generous they were with their resources and relationships and time. Who empowered the Acts 2 community right after Pentecost? Who, who was the one infusing that community? It was the Holy Spirit. So we know He ultimately is the generous one. And how about pure and not dirty and unwholesome? Who, who is the pure one? What does Ezekiel tell us? Who's going to sprinkle clean water on us and wash away our sin? Who's going to do that? Who's going to enter us and clean us with clean water? It's the Holy Spirit. So we see this picture of clean water and this idea that the Holy Spirit himself is pure. So again, as we're living these ways, our neighbors, our coworkers, the community of Dover gets the opportunity to see more and more of what God himself is like. Not what we are like necessarily, but, but what he's like, what his character is like. So many people think of our God as harsh, judgmental. They don't think of him as truthful, patient, generous, pure. These are not the first responses that are going to come from someone in Dover you meet on the street. 
but we have the opportunity to give them a correct vision of who God himself is. And so what's the alternative? As, as he, Paul writes in verse 30, uh, remember, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. So if that's the positive of this, the negative is, if we continue to live hiding from each other, full of anger and slander, if we're living selfishly and not generously, um, and if we're filling our lives with unhealthy content, it actually grieves him. Um, we're not losing our salvation as Christians if we're engaging in this stuff, but it grieves him. And as I said before, with people who've left our church over some of these issues of, of clickiness, um, it has consequences. It, it does. I know we as Christians don't like to talk about consequences um, or discipline or punishment, or not punishment, but discipline and consequences. We don't like talking about that stuff, but the reality is there, it, God lovingly disciplines His children. And so there are consequences when we live out of step. So it really does matter how we live. So to close, how do we do this? Instead, be kind-hearted to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So to end, how, how do we possibly live this way? Um, if I'm honest, I make it like 15 minutes into a day before I violate one of these four areas. I just do. How long do you guys make it? Again, not being selfish. Anyone here struggle with that? Uh, snide, slanderous remark to our kids or about someone else at work or in the church. Anyone struggle with that? Uh, <laughs> Allowing unwholesome content on YouTube or Netflix into our mind or anyone struggle with that? So I think we're in good company. How do we live this way? Martin Luther, when he nailed his 95 theses uh, when the church needed to be reformed um, and needed to have some correction, he had gone off into some things that weren't very helpful. Um, the first thing he said his main point, his first thing on his mind is that the entire life of believers should be repentance. The entire life of believers should be repentance. We need to become more comfortable repenting individually as a way of life and as a church. Verse 32 promises that all of our sins are forgiven. This should free us up to repent often because we know that Jesus has taken not some of our sin on the cross. Colossians says that the record of debt against us was canceled. We weren't even alive yet when the record of debt against us was canceled. That means our entire life's record of debt has already been canceled on the cross. That hopefully frees us up as we grow in Christ to just expect it. Expect that repentance is going to be part of our life. We're going to fall short in these four areas constantly. We're just going to. Now, that doesn't mean to lead to despair, because here's the thing. As these areas pop up, content, anger, generosity, selfishness, we quickly repent as they surface. We repent and say, God, I'm sorry, I turn. I name it. We then ask God for our new nature, for the Holy Spirit to fill us. This is called the Spirit-filled life. This is something I work for an organization called Crew. 
and the founder, Bill Bright, some of you may know him, um, that was his big thing in life, the spirit-filled life, the spirit, or, or he'd call it spiritual breathing. All throughout the day, as sin comes up in your life, you're turning it, you're exhaling sin, God, I'm so sorry. You're breathing in the Holy Spirit. He's already in us, but we're, we're, <laughs> we're asking him to fill us more and more, to wash us, to cleanse us that our, our old nature of sin and brokenness that still lives in us would increasingly lose its power in our life, that the new person who's in us in the Holy Spirit would increasingly be the one who takes us over. We live in the power of the new person God has made us that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. We ask Him constantly throughout the day, Holy Spirit, fill me, renew my mind. And the good news is we don't just do this by ourselves. Again, that would, that would not be faithful to the text. We do this in a community. We do this together in our community groups, over lunch, during Sundays. We're, we're living this way of repentance and faith and being asked for the Holy Spirit to empower us and fill us so that we can take these little baby steps in becoming more like Jesus. We're never going to fully reach it in this life. That's why we need a resurrection and a new body. But the hope is each of us, and as a church, we can grow. We can become more like Christ in this life. I'm just going to close by praying an example of what this could look like, and then the, the worship team will, will come up. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we thank you for this word, Lord. I, uh, I know this morning that I have been quick to grumble and be angry at my own life circumstances, um, and it, it leads to uh, sarcastic, rude comments to my family and to those around me um, out of discontent um, with, with life and with circumstances, Lord. And so I pray that you would forgive me. Thank you that you have in Jesus. Um, Lord, I pray that you would fill me and us with the Holy Spirit, that you would empower us, Holy Spirit, uh, to live a new way, uh, not in the old way that's so natural to us, but in a way that is uh, loving is truthful, is generous, uh, and is wholesome, Lord, in, in all that we do, so that the world around us, Lord, would see you uh, and not ourselves, um, and that they would see how great you are, uh, what a wonderful God you are, and your character. And so, Lord, we thank you for filling us with the Holy Spirit, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to sing? So we prepare to come to the communion table will sing the first two verses of Behold the Lamb. Behold the 